1: Welcome to episode two of the Hockey News on the E! podcast. I'm Jacob Stoller from the Hockey News, and I'm joined by Justin Cohn, as always, from the Fort Wayne Journal-Gazette. And to start today's episode off, we're actually going to discuss a story that is in uh, Justin's proximity, per se. And it's a story that he wrote about for the paper, and that is the poor start of the Fort Wayne Comets. Their worst start, their worst 17-game record. Um, since joining the ECHL in 2012. And Justin actually spoke to the team present, who had some pretty choice pointed words about his team's effort. And, you know, as somebody reading the article from the outside, not knowing too much about the situation um, as Justin does, I was quite surprised by, you know, the weight behind his words. But Justin, I'd be curious to know what you thought about the situation. And for the folks at home that maybe don't know exactly too much, can you tell us about what's really happening with the comments right now?
0: Sure. Well, I, I think, first of all, you need to kind of understand the, the Fort Wayne market. You know, it's, it's for a team outside the NHL. It is treated here very much like an NHL team, uh, you know, second oldest team in, in minor league hockey. And there's been such a big level of success since 2002, which is the last time that they missed the playoffs. They have won six championships in uh, four different leagues. So we got the United Hockey League, then the reincarnation of the International League, the Central League, and now the ECHL. So there has so, been so much success here that really, I think everybody does feel a little bit spoiled, probably myself included. So when they get off to a subpar start like this, and uh, they are at 5-7-5 and five through 17 games, that it, it really feels like you know the universe is sort of ending here. And uh, so everybody's kind of coming to grips with that. But the reality is also there are only two games under 500. And there's 55 games remaining in the regular season. So there's still a lot of time for Fort Wayne and other teams in the ECHL that are struggling uncharacteristically, like the Toledo walleye, still plenty of time to turn these things around. So I know that's a long answer to your question, but ownership is not pleased. And what they have seen is a lot of inconsistency And uh, the interview that you're referencing that actually took place during a game Saturday and Fort Wayne was down three to nothing at home. And typically this is the, one of the biggest home ice advantages in all uh, minor league sports. You know, they average, I think it's about 60, 7,600 right now. Sometimes they get 10,500 in the building. And so they are just ownership is just a little tired of seeing these kind of lackadaisical performances from some players and the gist of what the president Michael Frankie was saying is that we don't really care whether you win or lose but we expect you to really bring it you know to really have full energy at all times and if you're not willing to do that then go play somewhere else if, if you're if you're at that point tell the coaches that you don't want to be here and we'll accommodate you so you're right it, it was pretty pointed statements from a member of the ownership group, 17 games into the season, but they're all feeling a lot of pressure with the start that they've had in Fort Wayne so far.
1: I should also mention further to what Justin said, Fort Wayne averages 7,414 fans per night, just a smidge under the Toledo walleye. And, you know, those figures are substantial. That's, you know, I, I would think, and just going off the top of my head here, that's gotta be up there with even AHL affiliates. And if not um, junior programs as well, in terms of the pointed comments, where he basically said, the president said, if you don't, if you're not doing well here, we can get you else. We can get you out somewhere. Is this like, is this a situation where they're not happy with the guys they brought in? Are they not happy with the effort they're getting from players that are on AHL two ways? Because in the ECHL, I know that you're not the, the entirety of the roster isn't players that are on NHL or AHL deals. But I guess the question I'm trying to, to figure out is how much of this can they control? Like how much of this is their personnel?
0: Uh, it's a great question. I, I think if, if anybody had the perfect answers to this, they would fix it. But, you know, one of the problems is nobody has been able to kind of put their finger on exactly what the problem is right now. Um, but they believe they have a ton of talent and they do have a lot of talent. Uh, there has been kind of a, I would put it a partial rebuild from last year. So, You know, some longtime players. One is Sean Sean Sidlowski. Uh, He isn't here any longer. Uh, Guys like Zach Pachiro. He's now playing in Allen. So there has been some changes. Um, So, you know, what's the problem? Does it go back to the AHL? No, uh, they're actually in a better situation AHL affiliation-wise than they were compared to last year. So right now the Comets are working with the Edmonton Oilers and the Bakersfield Condors. They have gotten some players from them back and forth this year. Um, But one interesting thing about that is you can be hamstrung a little bit when it comes to making changes. So just to use goaltending as the example, right now, Fort Wayne has two goaltenders, Ryland Peranto and Colton Point. Colton Point is on an AHL deal. Both of the goaltenders have been a smidge spotty. They've looked great at times, but they've given up some soft goals at other times. But when you have a player like Point who's on an AHL contract, you know he's not going anywhere. It's going to be nearly impossible to move a player like that, even if you wanted to. So that leaves you, well, we've got one goaltending situation that maybe we can tweak with a little bit. But if there were great goaltenders sitting around, somebody would have snatched them up. So it's easier to say, hey, we need to fix all these things than just to go out and do it. Um, but, uh, you know, in terms of mass changes or anything like that you know no i don't think uh uh anything's gonna like happen with the coach you know he won a championship in the pandemic season two seasons ago um the comets are very adept at rebuilding on the fly they do it uh very successfully year after year it's just right now the the hole is a little bit bigger than it had been before
1: was there not a corresponding transaction after these comments that you wrote about or i don't know if it had to do with it but did they release a player i can't recall
0: Uh, So, so far, the one big move they've made is they went out and acquired a guy by the name of Luca Barzon, who uh, actually was Reading property. It's he's had sort of a a circuitous path to get there, but he hadn't played yet this season. And Fort Wayne essentially got him for nothing because they were squatting on the rights of a guy named Jared uh, Thomas, who, who was a big playmaker for Indy last year. So Fort Wayne sends Thomas to Reading. They get Burzon. He joins the team. This is a guy that was an NHL draft pick not too long ago. So I feel like that's a pretty good pickup uh, for this, you know, point in time. But you know, we'll have to see. Is one player going to impact the whole thing? No. But they have the pieces in place. It's just a matter of consistency and you know, really top-down leadership, leading by example, staying out of the penalty box. You know, the same things that every team that's struggling with talks about it's just a little bit more
1: amplified because it's Fort Wayne and we're not used to seeing it like this. And further to that, if things persist, is a coach on the hot seat, uh, a GM? I mean, where are we at in terms of the hot seat meter?
0: Yeah. As I said, I I don't see any of that type of stuff. You know, I think right now the impetus is on the players. Uh, Again, you got a coach that won a championship two seasons ago, um, I just, I don't see anything like that happening, but you know, you never know if things spiral even more, but right now, I think the onus is on the players. And again, you know, I emphasize when it comes to Fort Wayne, two games under 500, you know, 55 games left. You know, I think there's a feeling of panic here amongst the fans and it's really not just in Fort Wayne, a lot of similarities to what's going on at Toledo too, which is their big rival, but you know, everybody's panicking a lot. But I, there's plenty of time to to turn this thing around.
1: Let's switch gears here over to our team of the week, and that is the Indy Fuel, the ECHL affiliate of the Chicago Blackhawks. We're going to go over some of the prospects on the team at the ECHL level that you know are worth looking at, and that have ties to either Chicago or their AHL affiliate, Rockford. And the Indy Fuel are a team that you know they are probably one of the most in the league that are tied to their Angel affiliate. They wear similar jerseys. They play Chelsea dagger um, after goals. They have a, you know, anthem singer that I think does Chicago games that, that does uh, for that uh, does indie ones as well. Who are some guys that we should be looking at from Chicago's vantage point that are on that team?
0: Just so you know, we're talking about Jim Cornelison, uh, okay. who, who sings the anthem at the Blackhawk games. But, yeah, I do want to touch on it in a second. I mean, it is kind of cool because you don't see this with a lot of teams. Like, a lot of teams, you can walk into an ECHL rink and be very unsure who's their NHL affiliate. Uh, so the, the Fuel, are a team that's really fully embraced that uh, from their inception in this league. And, uh, you know, there's a history of hockey in Indianapolis. Wayne Gretzky played there. Uh, in the WHA and um, they had a lot of success in the old IHL and also in the central league. So when they joined the ECHL, you know, they, they em- embrace partnering with the Blackhawks. And like you said, just a lot of things top down that you see just similarities. And uh, so from that standpoint, it, it is kind of cool, but um, um, anyway, uh, you know, I, I, I got, I waxed poetically. what do you want to know again about them? <laughs>
1: Well, I want to know from the Blackhawks standpoint, who on their team is worth keeping an eye on, uh, whether that's getting a call up to Rockford, maybe one day with, with the NHL. Who are the first guys you want to tell us about?
0: Yeah, so Seamus Malone is, is the name that I always uh, kind of come back to. Now, he's on an uh, American Hockey League deal with the Rockford Ice Hogs. He leads the fuel in scoring. He's got six goals, 20 points in, in 20 games, so a point-per-game player. Um, but what I like about him is he's a really opportunistic scorer. Um, you know, he, he really kind of went from a guy that wasn't on my radar to really being uh, a guy to watch last season. Uh, I believe he had 21 goals, 48 points and 62 games last season. And Indianop- Indianapolis, excuse me, was not very good last year. So he really stood out in that respect. Um, he's played some games in the AHL level. Uh, he was with Utica. Really was more of a, a role player with them, uh, but if you go back to college, there was evidence that Seamus Malone could be this type of scorer. He uh, played at Wisconsin from 2015 to 2019, mm-hmm. and even there, was almost a point per game player and uh, hit the 10 goal mark twice. And you know, as we know, it's it's always a little hard to to judge the college players and see what they're going to do in the pros because their roles are so different number of games played a lot of things changed but he's really gotten back to that scoring touch that we saw in college and you know what i like about him is he's really good at playing situational hockey and seems to really have a nose for understanding this is a big moment this is where i have to step up my game you know it's tied 10 minutes of the third period on the road they need me to make a play and i'm going to go out and do that and and he's been that type of player so he's got good speed big shot um, doesn't get a ton of shots, like about three a game, uh, but all of them always seem to be significant. So he, he's really the top player that I really
1: like with him. Is he someone that is a complete enough player to to get a look in Rockford? I know he's sort of prolific college scorer, has found sense of the ECHL. He is five foot ten. I'm not uh, anti small guys, but you know, obviously in in the bottom edges of the lineup, EHL. You want responsible type players, and sometimes the smaller ones are viewed as not, um, especially with the scoring profile. Is he someone that could play a bottom six role?
0: Oh, I think so. I mean, one thing about Indianapolis and Rockford is you you really see a lot of fluid movement of players going back and forth. So, you know, it's pretty clear that Rockford trusts the way that Indianapolis develops some guys. And that's actually saying something because Indianapolis hasn't been great over the last few years. Uh, so I could absolutely see somebody like Seamus Malone uh, making an impact up there. But, you know, the one thing is, you know, I'm talking a bunch about his scoring. And usually when these guys go up to the AHL, like you said, they need to to, you know, find a different role. You know, they yeah. need to be a more of a checking guy. But, um, you know, I, he's done it before in a limited basis uh, in the AHL. And I could see him doing that again in, in Rockford.
1: Now, Cameron Hillis, who was recently traded, um, became struggle property. He's with the fuel as well. You know, seeing that transaction, change the scenery one um, that it was, is Hillis someone that you think will be up in the AHL, if not the NHL at some point soon? Or, or is this someone where the jury's still kind of out on him?
0: Well, I mean, he's the only fuel player on NHL contract. Um, You know, he, he's played an NHL game, you know, granted, um, you know, that wasn't expected. It certainly wasn't part of the plan. He was kind of forced in because of some of the, the situations pandemic and whatnot, but um, he's got two goals and eight points in 14 games. I mean, that's, that's pretty good. So, and I should mention, he, he played that NHL game with the Canadians. Okay. So he had sort of a, an interesting path to getting to Indianapolis. Um, he was splitting time with Trois Riviere and Laval. He was traded from the Canadians to the Blackhawks for Nicholas Baudin and that happened just in October and then there was also another weird kind of separate trade that helped complete that which was Riley McKay. So strangely uh, Hillis began the season with Trois-Riviere and then because of an NHL trade he's plucked up and then moved to Indianapolis. So that's kind of a a weird kind of background situation there. Uh, But Certainly, you know, they made a trade for him. I don't see him being uh I don't I don't see the long term plan being let's keep it in, in, in Indianapolis. You know, he's gonna ascend at some point. I think that's that's pretty clear. Um
1: but it's definitely a rarity to see someone that I know circumstances led to him playing in an NHL game last year, but going from you know, even doing that is an accomplishment at the NHL level, right? Being called up to play in a National Hockey League game, and now the next year they're the ECHL. Can you remember another time that's even happened? Like, that's that's got to be a rarity at this level.
0: Well, you know, the pandemic made some weird things. Like Fort Wayne Fair. has a player named Drake Rimshaw. He played for the Kings two seasons ago, um, and they felt with him, you know, he had been on the taxi squad, you know, let's reward him right? And get him into an NHL game, and then bam, the next season he's starting off at the ECHL. So... Wow. Because because of the pandemic, we are seeing some weird situations like that where guys got an unexpected chance, especially goaltenders, you know, Michael Hauser, Zach Fukali, guys like that. Right. Um, so, you know, to get back to your, your original point about him, though, I mean, the guy was, uh, you know, he was he was a high draft pick, uh, third round pick of the Canadians in 2018. He's only 22. Uh, he played in the OHL, so he clearly got a lot of upside. And if you look at that one game that he played with the Canadians, he got 16 shifts. I mean, he wasn't just sitting on the bench doing nothing. So he got to play a little bit. So I, I definitely think there's some upside with
1: him. What happened, what happened with Jacob Power? He, uh, he started out with the Fuel. He was with Rockford throughout last year. And then I believe, is he has he found a new place to play? What's going on with him? So uh, I, he played 15 games with the Fuel,
0: and then he had his contract terminated. Uh, I, I think he is- Mutual? Assembly- Uh, Yeah, that was my understanding, was the assumption was that he was maybe going to go back to to Europe. But I don't know, to be honest with you, if he's signed anywhere else yet. But you're right, uh, uh, a pretty big player
1: there. Yeah, it's CS here, according to elite prospects, that he has signed a deal, or at least on the roster of HC Plazen of the Czech League. A couple more guys we'll get to before we move on to our next segment. I want to ask you about Andrew. Is it Perot or Perot? I believe it's Perot. So he's on an HL deal with Rockford a lot of penalty minutes, isn't afraid to scrap things up, stay at home kind of guy, sandpaper. What can you tell us about him and the chance of him maybe even becoming a piece for Chicago?
0: Well, he was a nice player with the Windsor Spitfires. I have a little allegiance there being from the Detroit area. So, uh, you know, his nice guy there, uh, had seven goals and 14 points in 25 playoff games last season. So if you look back, he really just totally upped his game when it came to crunch time. And, and I think that bodes well. I think, you know, that's the type of thing that scouts really, really notice. So uh, he's been a good player with, um, um, with the fuel, excuse me, uh, four assists and 50 penalty minutes in 20 games. So that's also the thing that's kind of standing out to me. Like, I know he's got a nice shot from the point, and I've seen that a few times this year. Uh, but he's dropped the gloves and fought three times, and that I'm not sure that I expected. So could he wind up in Rockford? Yeah, I think so. I mean, he's he's showing things at both ends. Uh, I'd like to probably see a, a few more points from the back end, but one thing you need to keep in mind, Indianapolis is off to a great start, in, uncharacteristic start. They're actually in first place right now. They've been kind of duking it out with uh, Cincinnati for leading that division. So you know, don't mess with what you're doing, but... Uh, certainly a guide to uh, to watch to potentially move up there.
1: And a big part of their success has to be attributed to head coach Duncan Dalmeo. And also keep in mind the ECHL and the AHL for that matter. It's not just about developing the players. The coaches are a big part of that as well. Jared Bednar, for example, he coached the ECHL. So many notable names that have had their start in that league. I believe John Cooper as well. Um, I could be mistaken there. Uh, don't quote me on that. I mean, we are alive or we're not alive. Um, but Duncan Dalmeo what can you say about him and, and Hey, is he a guy that you can see moving up as well? And in, in his respective profession,
0: I mean, two things I say a lot is, you know, don't sleep on the goaltending in the ECHL. And i also think don't sleep on the coaching. You know, there's some very good coaches, you know, like you said, and, and guys that people haven't heard of, you know, there's in Wheeling, there's a guy named Derek army. I think he's doing a really good job with limited resources and they've had some success. So, uh, you know, in Indianapolis, he took over uh, late last season for Doug Christensen. And, I, you know, I, I was not real enthused with the job uh, Christensen was doing, but I thought it was a little bit strange that they made uh, a change when they did. But uh, Indianapolis has improved. You know, they're looking a lot better right now. And this is a guy who had never been a head coach before. Um, he's He's got some prospects. He's He's moving up. And, you know, if they can get good, there's – uh, a, a nice market in Indianapolis, and they're going to be moving into a new arena in, in a few years too. So they, it's really important for them to, to sort of build some momentum here. But, um, you know, the one thing with with Coach there is, um, you know, he's he's sort of an ECHL lifer. Um, he uh, uh, was an elite defenseman for, for multiple teams. He won Defenseman of the Year with Roanoke, uh, I believe, back in 2002. So he's been around this league. He knows what works and what doesn't work and doing a really good job so far.
1: Let's move on to our pro- prospect player, you name it, of the week. And that is Colton Ellis of the Tulsa Oilers. 4-2 and 4 record, a 3.49 goals against average. But mind you, Tulsa ranks 24th in goals against per game and with 3.89. So a little bit hard to judge him on that. He has an 8.93 save percentage and he's playing on an Oilers team that is 6, 7, and 6-7-5 and in second to last in the Mountain Division Tulsa is the ECHL affiliate of the St. Louis Blues. You know, it's funny. The Blues, actually, they don't have too much goaltending depth. Jordan Binnington and his crazy antics are continuing, and his play is declining. Their backup is Thomas Grice, who expires after this year. They do have Joel Hofer, who will be a big part for them in the future, but there could be another spot there in the backup, and perhaps Colton Ellis will be that guy?
0: Well, so first off, just so you know, so Tulsa is actually – um Anaheim's affiliate so, Okay, so the Blues I see yeah the Blues are one of the four NHL teams that don't have an ECHL affiliate so sort of an interesting situation there they've worked with Tulsa before so it's not surprising that they would identify Tulsa as maybe a good spot to put a guy like Colton Ellis in there and um, you know the, like you like you referenced I mean the depth chart with Blues goaltending is a lot different than it looked, you know, maybe a year ago. You know, Huso is now playing in Detroit. Uh, are Binnington and uh, and Grice, are they the long-term answers? You know, maybe not. You know, I don't know. But we do know that they need to start developing those next guys. And Ellis looks like he could be one of those guys. You know, is he a, a year away? No. But, you know, it, under some... You know, if he keeps progressing and playing well and he's played well so far this year, I could see him being in that conversation a couple of years down the line.
1: It's funny too, because in terms of like where he's at with his game, he's someone that he was in the QMJHL in the 2020-2021 season, the COVID shortened year, put up a 926-8 percentage. And it's funny, I feel like across the board, whatever league you're in, everyone kind of has an asterisk beside that, that COVID year, fair or not? Right. And I think with with Ellis, it's hard to ignore that he had a strong year in his final junior season last year between uh, Worcester and Springfield. He had solid numbers in both, just under league average in the HL in six games, a 905 in the ECHL through 34 contest. So definitely someone that does have some upside, I would think. Um, In terms of looking at goaltenders and their performance, do you think that goals against average and save percentage can be kind of elusive in this league?
0: Well, I'll be honest. I do not look at goals against average very much. Like I throw it in there when, when I, when I talk about anybody, I throw it in there, but save percentage is what I'm looking at. And of course, for me at this level, the demarcation number is a nine, you know, 90%, 900, save percentage. If I see that guy starting off with an eight, then I'm sort of immediately like, Thinking, okay, I need to see what the situation is. So, um, you know, if I see that, that, you know, he's at 893 save percentage, it's not difficult to look and say, well, he's playing for Tulsa. As a team, they're not doing well defensively. Um, and, and he's looked better than his stats would indicate. But, you know, you look through his path, you mentioned his junior career. The guy had seven shutouts in 24 games. That's an incredible stat. Uh, at one point in his, uh, 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 Q career, Uh, he, um, excuse me, won 16 games in a row, which was one short of the Q all-time record. So, you know, I don't care whether it's pandemic or not. I mean, those shutout numbers and win streak numbers are pretty impressive.
1: What's his ceiling?
0: Well, I mean, they've obviously made an investiture in him, so I could see him going up uh, pretty high, Um, you know, certainly an AHL goaltender. And, uh, you know, I think he's definitely in the conversation as a guy that could make some moves and, and and be their NHL guy. But, you know, he's he's got competition within the organization. And so he needs to show it on the ice. And and, uh, you know, we expected him to start in the ECHL. So there's no surprise there. But, you know, he's he's got some work to do, but he's looked really good so far.
1: Before we close things, let's close things off with Coast to Coast with Justin Cohn's news and notes. Justin, the floor is yours. Tell us a couple of rapid fire things you want to discuss before we uh, end off today's show.
0: Well, one guy I want to talk about is Sean Sidlowski. I mentioned him uh, uh, before, former Fort Wayne Comet. He's now with the Orlando Solar Bears, but I want to give a, a little stick tap to him because he surpassed 500 regular season points in the ECHL, which is uh, a pretty uh, impressive number uh, You know that speaks to not just scoring talent, but also longevity. And You know, he's a really interesting player because, you know, years ago he was the Buffalo Sabres prospect and he's a great example of how a guy can sort of reinvent himself in a league like the ECHL. So, you know, he was a Sabres prospect and when he first came to Fort Wayne had really turned into more of a checking forward defensive guy. We knew he had some scoring talent, but you could tell. He hadn't yet come to grips with the fact that he had sort of capped out, like he was not ever going to make it to the NHL. And really, when he came to that realization and started playing his game, he became an unbelievable scorer, one of the all-time great scorers in league history. Uh, won the uh, MVP and um, uh, points award in 2018, and um, you know, moved to Fort Wayne rather, or excuse me, moved to Orlando from Fort Wayne rather than retiring after last season, which was kind of – nobody knew what was going to happen. Was Fort Wayne going to bring him back? They decided they were going to let him go. Was he going to retire and go play someplace else? He went to play in Orlando, and he's been doing pretty well there. But one thing I wanted to mention, 500 points, not anywhere close to being all-time in the ECHL. Doesn't even put you in the top 20. The record – Yeah, record is 891 by Louis Dumontz, who played for Tallahassee, Wheeling, Louisiana, a bunch of other teams from 1994 to 2006. So you do have to have a lot of longevity in the ECHL to get uh, into that conversation. And the eras have changed so much that you're probably not going to see too many players like that anymore. Um, When was the last time, Jacob, that you heard of a guy getting suspended while he was already suspended? never <laughs> right straight strange situation so the allen americans have a player named mikhail robodeau uh if you are a, here we go yeah if you were a juniors fan you probably remember the name he got a lot of suspensions in the queue um he had nine suspensions for 36 games in in the queue and had only played 203 games. So if you look at the suspension to games played ratio, that is you know pretty stunning, but nothing compared to what he's doing in the ECHL right now. So he was suspended last week for six games while he was serving a 14 game suspension for essentially smacking a fan with his stick as he's leaving the ice. And I, ha- I don't know exactly what happened with this latest suspension. Uh, all the league has said is that it was an off-ice incident. But the stat I want to tell you is this. Since joining the league in January 2020, he has played 55 games and been suspended from another 40. <laughs> so he's got 40 suspended games and 55 games played. So crazy stat, but I guess Alan likes him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah so uh some other you know just kind of things to to run down from around the league uh in Worcester Henrik Tikkanen has a 9-3-5 save percentage which is fifth in the league he's 8-2-0 with one shutout he is on a contract with Bridgeport of the AHL but he is certainly a guy that I think the New York Islanders have to be looking at a little bit as a guy to at least shore up the depth uh Within their organization, he's been doing really well. Uh, the main Mariners, Curtis Hall. He's a Br- Boston Bruins prospect. Uh, he has scored in four straight games. He's only 22. Uh, spent most of his career to this point with Providence of the AHL, but he's certainly making a big case to, to go back to the AHL uh, in the near future. Cincinnati, I mentioned the Cyclones off to a terrific start this year. Uh, Mark Sinclair. He's racked up a total of 164 saves in his last five games. He's got two shutouts this season um, and a uh, 941 save percentage to go with a 5-0-2 record. So he's doing really well with the Cyclones. But the thing is, the Cyclones have a lot of great goaltending. They've got another guy named Beck Warm, and I really like what he's doing. He's 6-2-2. Great he's got- game. Yeah, yes, yes. When he heats up, he really heats up. 9 uh, 11 save percentage. And uh, the two of them combined, uh, Warm and Sinclair, they have a combined goals against average of 2.30. So that's really strong uh, for the ECHL. Uh, in Fort Wayne, Anthony Petrozelli, he's played 196 consecutive regular season games. That's an incredible streak in the ECHL, especially when you consider it's during the pandemic. So he has never missed a game to injury, illness. The only time he's missed any games were was because of some call-ups. Um, and there were some scary moments last weekend because he got boarded uh, by Justin Vive. That's Rick Vive's son. Uh, Vive was a former uh, teammate, and uh, Vive got a major. So there were some scary moments there where Petrozelli was down, but he was able to come back for that game. Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah, I just wanted to end it off with uh... – an ode to Matthew Santos, someone that went to what is now known as Toronto Metropolitan University, formerly Ryerson University in Canada, 20 points in 18 games. He initially played for the Toledo Walleye in 1617, 17 but he decided to go back to school, and that is the youth sports level, to use his education package that you get from the CHL. What I think is interesting about Santos, and you know the 27-year-old has become an established player, uh, he had 59 points in 53 games last year, um, which mind you, came after not playing an entire year because the COVID season wiped out his final academic season. There's clearly an uptick in the amount of U sports to ECHL players in that pipeline. It's something that was actually discussed in one of the recent issues of the Hockey News magazine. It's interesting because I almost feel like the players that go to Major Junior, then they go to U sports. They're kind of overlooked, but, and I'm sure, Justin, from what you've seen from abroad, there must be a growing contingent of those types of players coming to league now that maybe weren't as much five years ago.
0: Oh, hundred percent. I mean, I can tell you for Fort Wayne as an example, just because, you know, that's what I'm used to is uh, you know, that's become their major recruiting ground, mm-hmm. you know, go, go and use sports. I, I think I've told you before they've got, I believe it's seven guys from UNB right now. And, and they really look at Canadian colleges as a proving ground. Why is that? I think proximity has something to do with it. I think, like you said, those are older guys, more experienced. You know, maybe they went the major junior, then to the college route. So you bring in a guy that's a rookie, and that helps you on the salary cap and whatnot. But he's not really a rookie because yeah. he's, he's 24 to 26 and he's won a couple championships. So I, I feel like Fort Wayne was one of the early teams on that. Toledo was another one. But now you see everybody kind of doing that. And when you're a, a team that needs to kind of rebuild on the fly and it gets to be, you know, February, March, that's really a place that you're starting to look for late season additions.
1: Absolutely. And with that, we're going to close off today's show. We had a guest. We recorded the interview. Unfortunately, it didn't work. We're going to try to get that person back. Um, it, was, it was it was a good interview, but, you know, this person. Um, unfortunately, had some Wi Fi issues. So we'll try to get that person back and then we'll reveal who it is once they're back on. We don't want to sewer them uh, with a little Wi Fi chirps here. But thank you very much for joining us for this week. And yeah, maybe we'll have a U Sports uh, alumnus or someone else uh, on the show next time or in the f- near future. Thanks, guys.